tech world, if you had to boil down its leader's mindset to a single thought, reduce it to a finite particle at the center of what makes it Silicon Valley, I'd argue it's this. What's next? That single question drives CEOs to constantly reinvent their business, spend billions on unproven technology, in hopes that no one else does it better and faster. So today, if you asked me what most leaders say is the answer to that question of what's next, my guess is they would say augmented reality. That's a wearable device, some kind of glasses usually, that projects holographic images over the real world. It's pure sci-fi. Think less Ready Player One, because that's virtual reality, and more Star Trek holodeck. Don't believe me that it's a priority around here? Just ask Mark Zuckerberg. So we did. On this special episode of the Informations 411, the Facebook CEO sat for a rare interview talking with Alex Heath, our social media reporter, and Matthew Olson, who writes our new ARVR newsletter to talk all things Facebook and AR. They covered a lot of ground, from why he thinks AR matters and how far off we are from truly useful AR, to what the real, actual, tangible uses are for regular humans. And also, why is it that the world's largest social networking company and its high-profile CEO are making this a top priority? Now, a quick note before we roll tape. This interview with Zuckerberg is entirely focused on AR and VR, and not about the many other matters, like politics, speech, business, that the company deals with on a daily basis. We've talked about those topics on the show before and hope to discuss them with Mark and other Facebook executives in the future. But as you'll hear, Mark has a lot to talk about now when it comes to Facebook's plans around AR. So let's get to Alex, who kicks off the conversation with Mark Zuckerberg. All right, Mark, I'd love to start big picture here and talk about why Facebook cares so much about AR, VR as a category. I mean, I think today people think of Facebook as primarily a social media company powered by ads, but uh, you've been investing in this for a long time, and there's a lot of people at Facebook working on this. So can you just kind of set the set the stage for us here on why Facebook as a company cares so much about ARVR? Yeah, of course. And and first, you know, thanks uh, Alex and and Matt for for having me on to do this. Um, you know, I uh, have been a longtime reader of the information. Um, I, I think you guys do great work. I'm I'm excited that you're going very deep um, into the whole AR and VR space and and really focusing on this. So. It's it's not just that that I think that this is important, but I think that the the work that you'll do here, um, I think will hopefully help explain why this is going to be a big deal um, to a lot of other people across the ecosystem who are just starting to think about this. So, you know, why why do I care about this? Um, you know, as you say, um, you know, we're primarily a a social company, right? We we try to build things that help people interact in in all these different ways, from you know private text messaging to um, rich videos to, to photos that you share. And the holy grail of social experiences is the ability to feel like you're present with another person, right? So nothing that we have in technology today um, gets close to that with phones or computers or TVs, um, you know, even video chats. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of have technology that allows you to communicate and that can with different fidelity, um, you know, help you see what's going on with the other person. But there's just something that's really magical about uh, the sense of presence and feeling like you're there with another person um, and everything that goes into that psychologically. And that's what virtual and augmented reality deliver when they when they work well. 
And that's why I'm so passionate about this, is that there were a number of experiences, social experiences that, you know, around helping people get together that are, are the kinds of things, um, you know, I, I remember, you know, when I was in you know, high school and college, sketching things out in, in notebooks um, about things that I eventually wanted to go build before I even started Facebook that basically rely on this type of technology um, to, to exist in order for you to really feel like you're there with another person. So, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, today, most of what Facebook does is, you know, we're building on top of other people's platforms. But, you know, today, I think it really makes sense for us to invest deeply to help shape what I think is going to be the next major computing platform, um, this combination of augmented and virtual reality, um, to make sure that it develops in this way that is fundamentally about people being present with each other and, and coming together. And there, there are going to be all these awesome uh, use cases that, that, that come from this, you know, not just, you know, the ability in the future to you know, rather than calling someone or having a video chat, you just kind of snap your fingers and teleport, and you're sitting there in their in their um, on their couch, and it feels like you're there together. Um, you know, it's not just going to be like a video chat where you can see the person; you'll actually be able to interact with them. You know, you'll be able to take out games or other objects and instantiate them as virtual objects, and 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 interact and and get work done and and play games together and and, and all of that. Um, and I also think it's going to have a big society wide impact. Uh, on a lot of things that we care deeply about, like climate change, because I mean, look, we're, we're here. It's 2021. It's a lot easier to move bits around than it is atoms, right? So, you know, obviously, they're going to keep on being cars and planes and all that. But you know, the more that we can teleport around, um, the you know, not only are we personally eliminating commutes and 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 stuff that that's kind of a drag for us individually, but I think that that's better for society and for the planet overall too. So there are a lot of reasons to be excited about this and um, I'm excited to go deep on this. I guess uh, drilling into on Facebook's work here, I mean, can you give us a sense of how many people at Facebook work directly on this stuff and maybe like how much you spend in a year on this stuff? It's gotta be an order of magnitude. I, I know it's increased quite a bit. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, you know, I don't know if, um, uh, you know, we, we, we have a number of different product areas that we're working on, right? So there's there's the virtual reality product lines. Because of how hardware gets developed, you kind of need to know what your next three products are going to look like all at the same time. Um, you know, it's not like software where, you know, we're changing it every week or every couple of weeks. So when we have product teams spun up now working on kind of the next few generations of, um, of virtual reality and what, you know, Quest 3 and 4 and are, are going to look like. Um, and then, of course, fundamental technology that goes into that um, in, in terms of improving the optics and, and the, the performance of it and making it smaller and lighter and adding a lot of functionality that you'd want. Um, you know, for example, you know, one of the things that I'm really excited about for future versions is, is getting you know, eye tracking and face tracking in because if you're, if you're really excited about social presence, you, know, you, you want uh, to make sure that the, the device has all the sensors to really kind of animate um, realistic avatars that so you can you can communicate uh, well like that. But that's just the VR side. Then you have the AR side, where you know we've already announced um, the product that we're building that that's going to be coming out with Ray Ban this year. That's the the first pair of smart glasses. It's not going to be full AR um, because the, the the kind of core technologies to develop you know normal looking glasses like what you're wearing, but that can can kind of put virtual objects into the world and, and kind of deliver that sense of presence. Um, you know, that's still a few years off, but, but I think it's important to start building the developer ecosystems around this and, and, and start 
uh, getting this stuff out into the into the world to see how people use it and, and what the feedback is. So we have kind of our our, our first product that's going to come out this year, um, and then we're working on a couple of generations of of what will ultimately be the long term AR glasses, and then everything around that, all the input stuff. Um, you know, so I mean, you, you wrote this piece around you know what we may or may not be doing on the wrist. Um, you know, we've been pretty public about talking about. Um, some of the neural interface work that we're doing, input for how how are you gonna gonna interact with augmented reality when that when that um, comes out? I mean, that's a that's an interesting and big question. I mean, you don't have a keyboard, right? Um, you, you obviously you you could kind of play with virtual objects with your hands, but you know, you're not gonna want to walk around with your hands out in front of you all day long. You'll get tired, so that's gonna be one part of it, but not the whole thing. Voice and assistance, um, that's gonna be an important part of that. You know, we already have our assistant on portal. Um, and we have more upgrades to that coming soon, but you know, you don't always want to talk out loud. So that's all going to be part of it. So I think neural interfaces are going to be kind of fundamentally intertwined with, um, with VR and AR work in terms of how the input works as well. So you end up having, you know, all these different strains of, of work that we're doing and it adds up quite a bit, you know, it's a, it's a lot of fundamental technology and research and, um, you know, work on multiple products in the future at the same time. So it's a pretty big effort, but I'm, I don't think I'm going to get into to numbers on exactly how many people it is or exactly what our budget is. Well, how much time do you spend personally in this work? Cause you obviously have a lot of things you have to do as the CEO of Facebook. Um, I, I've heard you say you try to divide up time, like a theme for a week, for example, but do you do you find yourself spending increasingly more time on this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the the future of social experiences and the future of computing platforms. So I, I am very very focused on it. I mean, how much time I get to spend on it personally, um, you know, varies week to week depending on what else is going on in the world. You know, obviously I get pulled in a lot of different directions, but I think you know the job of a um, you know I, I actually think not just CEOs but um, you know, probably most people is is to 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 try to make sure that you're not just reacting to things that are going on in the world, and that you're carving out time to work on the direction that you proactively want to be building and pushing things in. So, so I'd say on good weeks, I get to spend more time on this. Um, you know, there's certainly a share of weeks where I where I don't get to spend as much time on it as I'd like. But we have a great team working on it. Um, you know, we have some of the best researchers in the world working across these different technologies. Um, you know, Boz, who runs the group, um, has been involved in building a lot of different parts of, of Facebook over time. And, you know, when I when I identified that this was really going to be a, a big area of focus for us, I wanted to take, you know, an executive who who had the experience building consumer products at Facebook, building businesses. You know, he, you know, he's the person who I tapped to build our um, our ad system after our IPO when a lot of people had uh, doubts about whether we were going to be able to build a mobile ads business. And he did a great job with that. So, um, so we have, we have a lot of great people who are working on this, who are pushing it forward. So, uh, to drill down a little bit into Oculus and VR in the here and now, uh, on your most recent earnings call, you said that the quest two is on track to become the first mainstream VR headset. Uh, and it was a quick iteration after the quest was launched, you know, about a year earlier. So why do you think with this product line and this ecosystem that you're seeing VR in particular start to take off now? And how big do you see it becoming? Yeah, so I think that's definitely right. That that Quest 2 is, is I think, going to be the first mainstream virtual reality product. Um, it's already, you know, just in the, the, the few months that it's been out, um, quite outsold the, the first version of Quest. And I think that that's for a number of reasons. I mean, one is... We just made a number of big improvements to the product. We made it um, lighter, and we made it faster, and the screen is is a lot better. 
Um, and, and of course, we we made it a lot more affordable too. It's it's three hundred dollars now. Um, the content ecosystem and developer ecosystem are also are also building up, um, and that means that if you buy a Quest Two today, there's just a lot more to do with it. The, the gaming ecosystem is more developed, and increasingly there are these other parts of the ecosystem too. And there's these fitness companies, right? FitXR and, and Supernatural. There's increasing um, kind of enterprise type or, or kind of workspace type um, experiences to, to get work done together, um, more social experiences. So, so all of that is getting built out. I mean, I just think about, you know, over the course of this, uh, this pandemic over the last year, and I've been using VR a lot more uh, personally because I, I can't get together with a lot of my friends. And, you know, so over the weekend and, you know, we'll, we'll you know, typically, you know, one day just spend, spend a few hours um, playing games together. And there are a lot of good multiplayer games now, but, you know, at the beginning of the, the pandemic, you know, even just watching how the content has evolved over that, you know, my, my, my friends and I at the beginning played um, this game, Arizona Sunshine, which is a, this great game. It's a, it's a zombie shooter game. It's pretty fun. Um, and that, that at the time, you know, when, when we were kind of getting started with, with COVID was like, I, I thought it was the best, um, you, you know, multiplayer game. And now there's so many more. Now there's, you know, Echo VR. It's basically, you, know, you can play. It's kind of like if you've read the book Ender's Game, they have that 3D Frisbee uh, type game. And it, like basically this, this company built this version of that and, and, and they did great work. And, you know, recently, you know, you have games like Onward coming to Quest and Population One, which are doing quite well. Um, so it's just neat. So now, you know, so I think part of the, the platform development is that it's not, if you buy a quest, it's not stuck in time, right? It's not, the value increases over time because you, there are more things to do with it um, as the ecosystem develops. Um, and also we keep on shipping over the air updates, right? So, you know, I mean, you know, within the last you know, year and a half, one of the big things that we did was we, we added hand tracking um, to, to quest and, you know, people didn't think that that technology was ready and we just, we shipped it over the air. Um, and now that works great. And there's a, a number of other things like this that, um, that we're working on too. The thing that we've always believed is that when you get to around 10 million active um, people using VR, that's when the market is big enough that it really is worth it for, for every kind of developer out there to start developing for this. You know, for, in the beginning, you know, we pumped a lot of capital in to, to basically subsidize and, and just give grants to, to good developers, knowing that they, you know, if, if there are only a million people using VR, they're not going to ever be able to make up enough money from that to, um, you know, to at least make up for the opportunity cost of building for a different platform. Um, but now, you know, as we get closer to that, that threshold where it's sustainable, um, I just think you're going to start seeing a lot more developers get attracted to it and the content is going to pick up at a, at a really big pace. So now I don't know in terms of how big this can get. Um, I, I think over time, I mean, the, the opportunities are, are, are enormous. I mean, certainly it's going to, blow past 10 million, it, I think it'll, it'll get to many tens of millions, like what you've seen with you know, Xbox and, and PlayStation just on the gaming side. Um, but then over the long term, you, you um, kind of start adding in the augmented reality use cases. And, you know, I think virtual and augmented reality are kind of two sides of the same coin. But, um, you know, once we have the product, which is basically like you have a normal looking pair of glasses, um, that you can do all these augmented reality use cases where you know, your friend can teleport and sit on your couch. So it's your physical couch, but they're kind of virtually there. But then also, if you want, you can kind of black out and turn your glasses into sunglasses. And 
access a large catalog of VR content, um, I mean, that's going to be killer. I think that that's, that's the, that is, you know, kind of the vision of the next computing platform. And I think that will be hundreds of millions, eventually, if not billions of people, um, you know, once we can make that affordable enough for, for everyone to access. I think it's interesting that you and Apple disagree on so much, but you both agree that AR, I think in particular, is going to be big. Um, and this is a sentiment, I think, shared among a lot of executives in, in Silicon Valley. Um, but you seem to be perhaps the most bullish. And I'm curious, um, did was there a moment, I haven't always heard you talk about AR in the same way that you talk about VR. I think Oculus was, I think, what, seven years ago, that acquisition now. Did you have a moment where you made a switch in your mind and you realized that AR is just as important, if not more important than VR? Like when you bought Oculus, did you did you kind of understand what you just said about the how, how AR and VR work together? Well, that's always been our theory, right? So, so when the Oculus team joined us, um, you know, the, the theory at the time was that it's going to be possible to build good VR devices sooner than it will be possible to build AR devices, but that it's good to start now because it's actually all one ecosystem, right? I think a lot of people think about AR and, you know, you think about this future, a lot of people wear glasses or contact lenses. Now your glasses are smart. That seems like a clear upgrade. There's going to be all the stuff that you can do um, in terms of just having information at your fingertips all the time, um, having, having communication be a lot easier. Like that's, that, I mean, there are obviously challenges to, to deal with that too. And I'm sure we'll, we'll get to that. But I think that that's a pretty kind of straightforward vision for people to wrap their head around. I think the, the difference in how we're approaching this is we believe um, every bit as much that AR is going to be critical. Um, you know, we're, we're obviously very focused on that. But we also think that virtual reality is going to be an important part of how augmented reality gets built and, um, and are, are going to be a, a big part of the use cases. Um, even when you have those glasses to do augmented reality, I think, um, you know, I guess the analogy, the way that I think about it, is we have all these different screens today. You have phones, computers, and TVs. And you know, up until recently, I think, um, and, and even today, I think TVs are still almost half of the time that Americans spend watching screens. So, you know, I think it's you know, in the tech industry, we don't spend as much time on talking about TVs. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time on phones and, and computers and, and tablets. Um, and you know maybe there's there's more kind of utility in that because you can you can bring it to different places. But the amount of time that people spend kind of consuming um, and, and wanting to be immersed in media or gaming or different experiences um, is huge. So I think that by the time that we get to kind of full augmented reality and deliver on that vision, um, I actually think the virtual reality part of that is going to be bigger than people think. And because it's you can build VR today, you can't, or at least like a, a good experience there. Um, and part of that is because a lot of the VR tech, the displays, um, the chips to power it are somewhat of just an evolution from the mobile phone tech stack. So you kind of have that whole supply chain, um, and, and a lot of that tech is already pretty developed. Um, AR is obviously a completely different ballgame, right? We don't have the technology today um, in any consumer product that you're using that um, can have a kind of see-through screen um, that can place objects not just on a screen, but in the world in, at different points in 3D um, and, and have that be small enough to kind of fit in a normal looking pair of glasses. And, you know, we don't, we don't have the projector um, that can fit in the arm of a glasses, a normal looking glasses that can, that can power that. Um, so that's a completely different technology path. 
that that needs to get built. And um, but I think the developing the development ecosystem that's getting built out around 3D and spatial computing and these experiences, um, I think it's going to get built around VR first. People are going to use that, um, and then by the time that you can actually build these kind of good AR, um, basically hardware experiences. Um, I think it'll be very important that you have already built up this development ecosystem around all this 3D and spatial computing to be able to create that pipeline of experiences that you need. Um, so I've always kind of viewed VR and AR as, as an extension of, of each other and, and things that coexist a bit more rather than just thinking about the AR side of it. For you, and let's start with VR and then move into AR, since I think that tracks with what you just said with regards to developing this technology, what are the big hurdles that you're facing that sort of keep engineers scratching their heads and, and folks up at night going, like, this is this is the next nut to crack in terms of getting to V1 AR glasses, getting to a product that might you know, split the difference or deliver both VR and AR experiences? Um, I know folks may have experience with other headsets that try to do both or try to specialize in one regard. Uh, but I think there's some interest in the sort of like missing puzzle pieces along that way. Well, I think the technology to do augmented reality is going to be completely different, like I, I just said. So um, so there's a, a lot of fundamental technology development on the optics and, and projector and display and miniaturization around that. Um, you know, one of the big hurdles and the development of all of these devices um, is just kind of the thermals and heat that they throw off. Right. I mean, obviously, you know, you use your, your phone or computer for a while to get a little warm, but it's sitting on a desk or, you know, it's, you know, it's you, you, your phone has, has enough volume that it can in surface area that you can dissipate heat, but you can't really dissipate heat off someone's face that effectively you, you obviously, you know, don't want to burn anyone's face. So, um, so just even getting this stuff to the point where you can run it at the power that you need to run it at, um, and have it be cool. Um, is, is, is kind of a big deal. So there are all these different technical challenges um, that, that, we're, that we're working through. Um, you know, on the VR side, I, I think the, the biggest things that, that we're very focused on now are, you know, how do you pack um, basically more sensors to create a, a better social experience um, into the device, right? So, and that's a function of, um, you know, to, to run each sensor requires more CPU power and more, um, and, and that generates more heat and it basically creates all these different issues. But, you know, when I think about where, you, where you're at with VR today, you go into the experience, there's some pretty good games and, and different experiences. Um, but, you know, I'd love to get to the point where you, know, you have realistic avatars of yourself. Um, and where you can make real authentic eye contact with someone and have real expressions um, that get reflected on your avatar. So what do you need for that? Well, um, you know, you, you need, um, you know, basically you need to be able to do eye tracking to do, to do eye contact. Um, you need to have some, some sense of face tracking um, or, or, or sense of um, what's going on with the person's expressions in order to, um, to, to be able to, have those emotions um, kind of come through naturally. Um, building the avatars is something that we invest a lot in, right? I mean, 3D renderings of people is, uh, it's, a, it's a very complex space. You know, Epic, you know, the company that makes 
Unreal, the, the, the engine just you know released a, a what seems like a pretty awesome tool for basically creating realistic human-like avatars. Um, you know, it, it previously would have taken a very talented artist, you know, maybe weeks to do that. And now with their new tool, you know, maybe it'll take them on the order of a day. Um, but you know, that's not enough to scale for the use cases that we're trying to create, right? You, you're not going to be able to have, um, you know, a, a world-class talented artist um, manually spend a day to create a realistic avatar for tens of millions of people. Um, so we, we need to develop the technology and the machine learning to be able basically be able to have those kind of avatars. Um, and that's going to be a, a thing that we're, we're constantly upgrading. Um, and that it'll be a journey to get to there. But I think you know, the next version of the avatar system will launch um, on our headsets this this year, and it'll just get more and more realistic over time. Um, but that's a big challenge too. So on, on the AR, on the VR side, you you have all that. When you look out over like a ten year period, you know, obviously you want the form factor to get smaller. Um, you know, the ideal, of course, is to get to the point where you have. Um, you know, almost like the retina display equivalent for VR, right? So how is it so that you, when you put on a VR headset, um, you know, what you see in the scene around you is every bit um, as vivid and has the same resolution as the real world. And the question is, well, what are the challenges to get there? And there are, there are, are, are a bunch. I mean, obviously the, the headsets right now are pretty good resolution. They're not quite um, retina resolution, but even if you could get there, um, which I think we will in the next in the next few years. Um, then you have the question of how do you kind of power real time scenes at a retina level with a with a um, a chip on the device without uh, basically overheating and burning people's faces. So that's kind of a no no. You, you you obviously have to solve that and make that more powerful. Um, but then you have different challenges on the optics around VR than than what you've had historically with um, with phones or computers because. You know, of course, in VR, you're not just the screen isn't just at one place. You know, you have objects at different planes. Um, you know, so you've had this experience in VR probably where you're in some scene um, and you you look around and then you know you you want to read something that's close to you in your eyes, try to focus there. And of course, you know, today in modern VR, um, the displays basically only project stuff at, at one focal length. Um, so you, you your eyes try to focus and 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 you can't because they're just projecting at one distance. And that's um, something that needs to get solved. You know, that the, the problem is basically called varifocal, right? Having, you know, either creating some kind of liquid lens or um, mechanically moving lens or something that that can that can basically project things at different distances. Um, and then over the, probably the, the hardest challenge though, in terms of the display and, and getting it to be super vivid is, um, you know, it's the HDR problem. TVs have gotten um, a bit better on HDR recently, but the, the vividness, you know, measured in, in nits is the the unit for this um, of screens that we have compared to what your eye sees in the real world are, are just you know an order of magnitude or more off, um, which which um, you know means that you know you're probably not going to want to live in a world of like pass through VR anytime soon because you're not going to want to give up the vividness of of what your eyes can really see in terms of the contrast and, and brightness of the colors. Um, you know, if that if everything is is just slightly duller in in, in VR. So anyhow, that, that's probably a longer answer than you wanted. But I mean, but that's some of the the basic types of challenges that we're that we're seeing both for for kind of some of the upcoming versions and 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 sort of over the next ten years, what we need to solve. So um, podcasts are an audio medium, and 
this goes, I think, underappreciated in some circles that audio can really make or break a VR experience depending on how much thought has been put into it, how immersive uh, the audio technology is. And Facebook has shown some interesting work being done with audio and AR applications. Uh, it seems like it's a big uh, push for coming AR products from Facebook to have audio feature sets. So how important would you say audio is for AR glasses? And what's the work that Facebook's doing there that you think is most promising, most exciting? Yeah, so for delivering the sense of, of realistic presence, like you're there with another person or in another place, spatial audio is really critical. So what I mean by that is, you know, if we're on, you know, a, a Zoom call together, um, you know, I basically, uh, I, you know, basically hear your audio coming from in front of me, but in the world, you know, sounds come from all around us and having that spatial sense of where things are is actually incredibly important for how we process the, the world and, and remember things. I mean, I've, um, you know, one phenomenon that I've experienced a, a, a bunch, you know, over the last year is, is, you know, we've all done a lot more video conferences and, um, I've also done a bunch of meetings in VR is, you know, there, there are, it's actually amazing that how much having a spatial sense of being around people in VR um, is powerful today, even with, you know, the relatively basic avatars, even without being able to make um, kind of authentic eye contact today, there are obviously all these things that, 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 um, that are richer about, about virtual, uh, sorry, about video conferencing than, than, than VR today in its current incarnation. One of the things that I think is really under underestimated is you know, when you're on a Zoom call, you have that grid, and it's actually you don't really feel like you have a sense of space, right? It's a, if if you show up, if you're kind of to the left of me on my grid, that doesn't mean I'm to the left, I'm, I'm to the right of you on your grid. We don't have any kind of shared sense of reality. Um, and you know, as I go through my day and I have like you know five or six or ten meetings or whatever it is, um, you know, it all kind of blends together. I don't feel like I was in a unique space with a with a set of people, but the meetings that I've done in VR kind of have that a little bit more, you know, you're actually, you're sitting in a circle with people or standing in a circle. And, you know, if you're to my right um, in VR, then that means I'm to your left. So we have a shared sense of space. And that's reinforced by the fact that when you speak, the audio is coming from my right, um, which is this kind of subtle cue to our, our, our minds um, that, that actually is something that you remember and it helps you place the whole conversation better. And it just feels more real. Can you talk a little bit too about Control Labs and the wrist work? And I mean, this is a company you guys bought in 2019 that's doing basically minority report style gestural interfaces, neuromotor technology using the wrist. Um, Facebook seems pretty far ahead here on input work uh, with glasses relative to other companies I've seen. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and and why that's important to have something on the wrist? Sure. So, you know, we've been working on neural interface um type work and the research around that um, since before Control Labs joined us. But, you know, they have, um, you know, I think just an absolutely world-class team. And, you know, as you say, since they've joined us, we, we've also grown the effort a lot. And it's, um, you know, this is, is, is a key area for us. And we're thinking about this as part of, you know, how do you do input um, in virtual and augmented reality, right? And it's, I think there are gonna be all these different pieces. Some of it will be controllers, some of it will be hands, some of it will be voice. Um, but I do think that there will be over time an important aspect, which is neural interfaces. So then the question is, what is the best way to build a neural interface? And there are a number of different strategies that, that different folks um, have, 
have tried, right? I mean, the, some of the early stuff that, that we researched um, and that a bunch of professors at, at, at universities have, have, have looked into is can you, um, you know, basically just by um, pull, pull some signal um, from kind of blood flow from the brain directly. So, so basically you have some kind of strap that you wear, it's non-invasive. Um, and you, you know, like, would it be possible, for example, to you know, have something on the armband of glasses, um, or in the strap of a, of a quest, um, that could, that could try to read some signal about, um, you know, basically a, of a command that you wanted to give the, the computer. Um, and there were some early results on this that looked a little bit interesting, um, you know, where basically some researchers would, would show a person some, some pictures, here's an elephant, here's a giraffe, whatever. Um, and then they could look at the, the basic scans um, afterwards. And then they say, okay, now think about one of these animals and they could identify with some precision um, what, what animal the person was thinking about. So you can maybe get a few bits of information that way. Um, but ultimately, um, I think you're pretty limited because a lot of what happens in the brain is not happening at the surface. So, um, so being able to to, to kind of read things that way, I think is, is probably not gonna be the long-term future. Um, so then the question is, what, what, are, what are better ways to get signal? Um, you know, you have the, the sort of Elon Musk, um, you know, Neuralink approach of doing invasive things. Um, you know, we don't think that people are gonna want um, to get their head drilled open in order to um, use virtual or augmented reality. So I think that there, there certainly is a place, I think, for that kind of research, you know, especially for, um, you know, prosthetics of people who've had, um, who've had injuries. I, I think that some of the research there is actually pretty amazing. Um, I'm glad someone's doing it, but ultimately, um, that I don't think is going to be part of a consumer product that gets, that kind of gets, gets offered anytime soon. So then the question is, all right, so wh where do you get more signal? And the basic theory, um, that we're operating on is that the right way to read this is that our brains um, basically send out signals to our body through motor neurons to, to basically control different parts of your body. And it turns out that you actually have extra capacity in your motor neurons. Um, and this is part of neuroplasticity, right? So if, if you get injured, if you, if you, if your brain gets injured or something, and, and you can, you can kind of rewire the way your, your body works. So that way you, you have some redundancy. So you have these extra motor neurons, um, that can be adapted to control different things, you know, whether that's um, being adapted to control your hand or or um, a kind of virtual joystick or virtual keypad or something like that, um, which eventually will make it so that you can basically just think and act as if you have a third or fourth virtual hand, um, which can be typing without you actually having to move anything. So that I think will be pretty wild um, once we get to that. And you know, there's a whole journey on the path there. Um, you know, where, you know, obviously the long-term vision of, of kind of having separate virtual hands for you to type, um, you know, silently without actually having to move, um, you know, that might be pretty far off, but, but being able to um, give people, you know, one or two bits of control from their headset, um, I think that could be pretty powerful too. So, um, so that's, that's sort of the direction that we're, we're thinking about. Um, it's a long-term research program, but I, I think it certainly could be an important part of, um, of the, um, of, of kind of how we end up providing input and controlling our, our augmented and virtual reality devices. Facebook is doing its own OS work too, for this stuff, which I think is really fascinating, which basically means you won't eventually have to rely on Android or Apple to do these devices. Um, 
and you're also doing your own silicone, um, which is also a huge investment. Um, is part of this work also lessening your dependence on Apple and Google? Since Facebook has been kind of in that world for the mobile era, you have an opportunity now to kind of build your own stack fully. Um, and then I'd be curious to know, like, do you envision ever going the Android route, like li licensing your work, your OS work or something down the road? Or do you see yourself kind of being full stack vertically integrated? You're right that we're focusing on on kind of from the ground up building what would be the the kind of native operating system for this and doing custom silicon work because I think this stuff needs to be so tightly optimized. Um, you know, like we, we talked about before, um, you know, if you want to get all of this power into what looks like a normal pair of glasses, um, that's hard. And it, basically, the you can't just kind of retrofit um, a computer or a mobile operating system to do a completely new kind of pipeline um, for, for input and, and output. I mean, I kind of think traditionally operating systems get defined by how do you do input to that thing, right? So, you know, for phones, it's touch, for computers, it's mouse, you know, all, all, all of that. And then kind of how do they do the output? Um, and the graphic stack is just going to be completely different for this. Because, um, I mean, think about it. In, in AR, you're not painting all the pixels on the screen. Um, you know, you're you're just basically rendering certain virtual objects at, at different planes. So you have kind of that difference um, that it's it's not just kind of all at one place. Um, in virtual reality, in order to get to the kind of um, resolutions that I think we're going to want to, you're going to want to do a pretty different um, type of display focused on foveated renderings so that, you know, the way that our human eyes work is like you have um, you know much greater resolution at the point that you're focusing than, than kind of as you start um, diverging from that. So, you know, do, so do we want to actually have to be able to, you know, render every single pixel on every frame um, in VR, or do you want to design a new system for that? So there's a bunch of stuff in the silicon and in the operating system that I think in order to get the performance out of it that you're going to need to, um, at least for the next 10 years or so, you're going to have to be doing that kind of low-level work. Um, and so that's the main driver. Um, you know, I mean, in terms of of kind of there's obviously an aspect of this, which is um, being able to make sure that we design these systems, we can build the software experiences that we want. Um, you know, I, I've, I've certainly found it um, a little bit constraining on, on mobile phones, especially, um, you know, you, you have these app stores that are pretty rigid in their rules. And, and certainly there are things that I think would create better social experiences that we're just simply not allowed to build. Um, you know, when we, when we went, I mean, we, on desktop browsers, we, we have this whole gaming platform. We basically just weren't allowed to bring that to mobile. So you know, there, there are a bunch of things that, um, we would like to make sure that we can design the next system so it can actually create the kind of social experiences that we would like there to be. But, um, but that's kind of a second order thing. I think the first order thing is just making it work. And in order to do that, I think you do need to tightly optimize the, the system in order to get it to fit into the form factors that are going to be socially acceptable which again is a bigger problem for AR than VR. So you just mentioned uh, app stores in the context of hardware platforms, like where those ecosystems meet the, the hardware and software. And for, for Oculus and for moving into AR glasses and so forth, the question is how is Facebook going to make money from selling this hardware? Uh, is it all about data, like the existing model? Is it taking a cut of software transactions, which is currently the norm with revenue share uh, plans on Oculus, and it was just introduced also to App Lab, which is, for those not in the know, it's a way that developers can get their uh, content delivered on the Oculus platform without having it 
be you know approved through the whole store curation process so is that where you see this growing from here that kind of model yeah so i think the best way to think about kind of our our business interest in this it's probably more similar to how google thought about android which is you know they wanted to be able to build the experiences that they wanted um you know i think google at this point probably makes some money from android but um just being able to make sure that that um that the mobile eco ecosystem developed in a way that they thought was good um ended up being pretty important so you know for me the reason why we're in augmented and virtual reality is because one day i want people to be able to teleport around you know it, like in the future um you know it, uh, like i think this conversation you know it shouldn't be over the phone or over zoom it should be you know you, you guys teleport and are sitting on my couch or i teleport to you and i'm sitting there um i want to have it's so that people have access to kind of the full back catalog of of things in the world at their fingertips at any point so just kind of like how spotify gave you access to the full back catalog of music um you know i i think it would be neat to just be able to snap your fingers and um say okay i want to bring this game um and put it on the on the table in front of us right now or um or this object i want to be able to show you okay we want to like i want to pull up a map i don't want to show you it on the small screen let's pull up a a, a globe and, and make it as big as we want it to be and um so i think those experiences are going to be awesome and that that's what i want to build and i think that probably the business model will largely be around those um experiences and and kind of building the apps that we already build and in in kind of extending that and building more things um you know if the app store um ends up being meaningful then then great but i think our inclination um is probably going to be to try to offer these products at um as low of a cost as possible um in order to be able to get them out to everyone right so unlike you know some of the other companies in the space um that that basically charge premium prices as their business model you know one of our core principles is we want to serve everyone right so i'm very focused not only on how you can create um a good vr and ar device but how do you make it so it's you know 300 um instead of a thousand dollars i think that's a pretty big deal um in terms of being able to make it accessible to more people so i'm pretty inclined to take whatever gains we could get um from things like an app store and just use that to make the price lower so it's more accessible to people um and the, the things that i care the most about are can we deliver these social experiences and if we can then i think what we've seen um on the internet so far is you can build a pretty good business doing that so um that's that's kind of sufficient from 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 our perspective and just trying to bring this technology into the world so it sounds like in 10 years the world and facebook in particular could look a lot different your business and your revenue lines could look a lot different if this plays out how you imagine yeah i mean i think I mean certainly that's that's the the hope. Um yeah, I think in 10 years we'll I don't know in 5 years we'll definitely all still have phones. Um you know I think the way this works is um you know, I guess you know when we got phones we didn't get rid of our computers. Um we maybe just shifted some of our time a little bit towards the phones. And my guess is we'll have phones for a while too. So that that part of what we do will will always be important. Um but I think over time this will become the primary platform for more and more people. Um and I just think that there's a lot of awesome stuff that comes from that. I think if you can deliver a computing platform that is fundamentally more human and about creating natural interactions between people, um then that is 
that's sort of the dream that we've been chasing for um for for a long time and i mean if um so if 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 we can if we can build that and i do think you know within a decade a lot of the things that that we've talked about today should be delivered and and at some scale um i think that that is going to be very exciting so you know a lot of this stuff i think will start to come about in the 2020s um it may not you know really uh reach the full scale until until you know 2030 or 20 or the 2030s but um but it's it's just hard to imagine when you use the systems that we that we use today um for how we connect and communicate through phones or 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 through um computers and video chat that that we're not that this isn't just going to be a much better future in terms of being able to actually feel present and be able to be where you want to be and you know all these trends in society I mean, we talked a little bit about climate change before um just being so important i do think people are just going to want to maybe travel a little less in the future and do it more efficiently and you know be able to go places without having to take the travel or commute time um remote work is a growing trend you know people are going to want to um you know, i think it's a pretty big economic and social issue that a lot of people feel like they need to move to a city today in order to have good economic opportunities and jobs and then you know a lot of the cities aren't doing a good job managing themselves the cost of living is getting out of control but you know in the future if you have this dynamic where you can live anywhere you want and basically teleport to work anywhere else i think that's going to be very profound um and and i think we're starting to see after covid remote work is going to start accelerating um and some of the tools that we have today like video chat kind of get us to to the minimum of where we need to be but you know in the future where you can really live where you want and then be present you know on a moment's notice in another place you know with a realistic um you know em- embodiment of yourself um and interact with things there um i think that's going to going to be very powerful for creating a a kind of more um equal opportunity and vibrant economy um as well as it, it helping to to make some progress in some of the bigger social issues like climate change um that that exists today thanks for your time mark we'll do a, a round two of this at some point in the future but i thought that was good All right, that is this week's episode. Thank you so much to Mark Zuckerberg for coming onto the program, Alex Heath and Matthew Olson for conducting the interview, and Ariella Markowitz for producing. This is Tom Dotan, your regular host of the Informations 411, hoping that you come and join us here. If you are new to the show and haven't listened before this episode, uh, we put out a weekly podcast focusing on all the biggest stories in the tech world, media world, and other industries being upended by technology features interviews with a lot of our reporters, interviews with other people in the industry. We hope you enjoy it. Check us out, subscribe, and hopefully see you back here next week. 